This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Wednesday, May 3rd, 2017. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. And James Comey, speaking before the Senate Intel Committee, made an interesting admission... It wasn't his forceful explanation of why he decided to break with the tradition, what others have called the policy, of not disclosing FBI investigations so close to an election. That, I'm sure, he's proud of. He did it to preserve the reputation of the FBI. They had two poor choices, to disclose or to conceal. What others may call wait and see or use discretion, but he called conceal. And given the two choices, disclose or conceal, He chose to put it all out there. And therein lies his interesting admission. Listen to this phrase. Look, this was terrible. It makes me mildly nauseous to think that we might have had some impact on the election. Mildly nauseous, James Comey thereby admitting to human frailty, fallibility, that it was not going by intellect or divine guidance, but to some extent by his gut. And his gut was telling him something back, something like, oh, But really, I wouldn't have done what James Comey did, but I think reasonable people can disagree about what he did. Hillary Clinton is not such a reasonable person. Or let's put it this way. To her, the reason she lost was James Comey. She told Christiane Amanpour yesterday that if the election were October 27th, she would be your president. The reason why I believe we lost were the intervening events in the last 10 days. And I think you can see I was leading in the early vote, I had a very strong, and not just our polling and and data analysis, but a very strong um, assessment going on across the country about where I was uh, in terms of, you know, the necessary both votes and electoral votes. Here's what I think. She's probably right, but she may not be. She quoted Nate Silver's analysis as evidence. Nate Silver's analysis ran under the headline, the Comey letter probably cost Hillary the election. But the numbers, Nate's numbers, show that the Comey letter took Hillary's chances from 81% the day before the letter was announced to 71%, according to 538's models on the day of the election. So you could say, well, a better candidate could have started at higher than 81%. Or you could say, you know, she never really was at 81%, and I'm not even sure she was really at 71%. Or you could say the whole ordeal cost her a 10% chance of getting elected. That's what 538 did say. Not 10% of the vote, but decreased her odds by 10%. If you believe the odds, the guy that Hillary Clinton was quoting, it hurt her chances of getting elected by 10%, which isn't 90%. It's like nine times less than 90%. 
Her defeat was overdetermined. I've used that words a lot, which means that a lot of things each individually, if they had happened or not happened, would have swayed it. So let's say Comey comes to the exact opposite decision and conceals the letter. Does Hillary win? Probably. Sure. Let's say sure. So it's Comey's fault. But what if Hillary visits Wisconsin consistently in the final weeks of the election? Does she win? Well, so let's say sure. Yeah, why not? So it's her fault. Well, both things could be true. I do know we're living in a world of demonstrable untruths emanating from the president. I can say with certainty that on every day on key issues, he says things that aren't true. That is the Trump inaccurate actual. I cannot be as sure about the Comey investigative hypothetical. I'm glad Congress is investigating. But that ship has sailed, that server has crashed, that laptop has rebooted. I know that my fellow Americans had a choice of whether to be influenced by the Comey letter, and they were, but shouldn't have been. So who's the blame really on? This is democracy. As always, the blame is on us. On the show today, remember that spiel I promised you yesterday? Today, I deliver. Normally, we don't have that kind of lag. You just have to, you know, wait through the interview. But today was an interview, then about 24 hours. There was technical difficulties, but the spiel was so wondrous and soul-nourishing that I wanted to give it to you in its perfected form. If you did access yesterday's, and if you're holding that one somehow, well, that's like the rare pressing of an album with misspellings that was pulled and reissued. You are a collector, a true collector. Today's is for the masses. But first, Sarah Manguso has written this short book of, well, sentences, sayings, not really sayings, aphorisms, probably too pat. There are little pieces of philosophy. Some work like stories, others like statements. They're all good. They're all good to read and to think about. And what they add up to is maybe nothing, maybe not much more than a bunch of good stuff to think about. But that is something, isn't it? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... A real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. For a little attention, complain a little. For a lot of attention, stop complaining. Only a fire can teach you what survives a fire. No, it teaches you what can survive that fire. The quality that all last words share, the silence after. Oh, good stuff. These are uh, just 1% of the 300 arguments put forth by Sarah Manguso in a book called 300 Arguments. I'm sure Sarah has more, but these were just the three that wound up in this great little blue book. Hello, Sarah. Hello. So the idea for this book, now I know on the acknowledgments page, the voters of Minnesota got a shout out, <laughs> but yeah, and you could go into that. But beyond the voters of Minnesota, what was the inspiration? Oh, uh, well, the voters of Minnesota support my wonderful publisher, uh, Gray Wolf Press. Yeah. So um, they handled that end. Well, this book was really an artifact. It was an incidental book. It wasn't a book that I set out to write, but it was uh, an artifact of failure to produce a different book, a book that I've been working on for many years, 
about Boston uh, near where I grew up and um, racism and class and uh, just a lot of um, grand abstractions. And while I was trying to produce that book, just sort of, you know, writing notes over notes over notes, I found myself kind of turning away and and having these very short, complete thoughts, um, which I think of as kind of an antidote to my inability to complete any kind of substantial thought about this book that I was, you know, trying and trying to write. And once I had about 100 of them, I started thinking that, you know, I, I, I could not help but notice that th- this was a, a maybe a legitimate project of its own. So in arguments, there are three types. There is logos, pathos, and ethos. You know, they mean right. re- yeah, reasoning or, appeal- mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. or appealing to appealing to emotion. You got a lot of that. There's some logos in there, but then the ethos one is, you know, about character, uh, beliefs or ideals. That's a tougher one, I think, the ethos. Yeah, I mean, if I understand correctly, this is this is really timely because I was just talking to a, a rhetorician yesterday at a department meeting. And she was explaining that the, you know, the so-called rhetorical triangle of the logos, pathos and ethos, there's. Um, you, you kind of have to engage them all at once. Mm. And so you, the rhetor, the speaker, has you, you possess the ethos. You appeal to the pathos by your logos. So it's kind of this like combination platter of those three concepts. Yeah, when done well, although I think, you know, in modern uh, political discourse, there's a lot less logos going on and a lot more pathos. There's an indulgence of pathos. Yeah, I well, I guess it's it depends on who is speaking. But sure, yeah. I mean, I'm not anti-pathos, pathos. Sarah, do you believe all 300 of your arguments? I believed them at the time that I wrote them. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um why does there seem like one that's that's just really uh unforgivable or um I I think there are a few that are at odds with each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They definitely uh, interrogate each other and and probably contradict each other. All right. So what I'd like to do in this round is we'll do uh, dueling arguments, but I don't mean dueling as in combative. I want to uh, piggyback on yours. Basically, I read a bunch of these uh, arguments. They gave me thoughts. I wrote down either a similar or a counter argument or whatever inspired me, and perhaps we can uh, discuss them in in pair. So would that be cool with you? All right. Absolutely. So let's go to page six. Many bird names are onomatopoetic. They name themselves. Fish, on the other hand, have to float there and take what they get. So to that, I said to myself, if we all lived underwater, onomatopoeia would describe uh, names that sound like bubble patterns. Yeah, no, that's interesting. You know, it's it's too bad my uh, my son isn't here. He's five, and he probably knows more about sea life mm-hmm. than anybody I know who doesn't have a an oceanography doctorate. Um, you hear things differently depending on the physiology of your your sensing organs, and there are all of these other sense organs that fish have, like. Uh, I don't know what the names are, but sharks, for example, maybe yeah. you know this, have these these little pores on their noses, and they can sense movement from up to a mile away. Right. But it's not, you know, it, there is no complementary sense organ that we have or that mammals have that, that does that. So, yeah, I'm sure there's all, all kinds of sensation happening under there that I have not even found a way to think about. 
Let's go to uh, page seven, the last one, the, the vase, or maybe you say vase. We'll find out soon. Like a vase, a heart breaks once. After that, it just yields to its flaws. To which I thought sometimes, like, like a vase, if let's compare the heart to the vase, sometimes we think our heart breaks, but really it's just like the top of a vase chipping off and you could still use it to contain water. Oh, it's still usable. Yeah. 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 Certainly there are degrees of breakage. Yeah. All right. 13C. This is a nice short one. Horror is terror that stayed the night. Contentment is joy that's been there long enough to have its own toothbrush. Oh, you know, that that one I really like. It seems, well, I, I should probably say it, the book seems less pessimistic than I feel. Or it, it reads as less pessimistic than I feel, and that that actually makes me kind of cheerful. But it's not a um, it's not something you should read before going into battle. Right, <laughs> right. You don't want Braveheart screaming it to inspire the troops. No, you'll, this you'll is the never end. know what your mother went through. Like that wouldn't work. Oh, well, <laughs> actually, that sounded kind of great. But well, that's true. That might inspire you. That's right for mom. Fifteen uh, C. I've never seen a ghost, and I don't believe in them. I might see one tonight, but even then, I wouldn't believe in ghosts. I'd believe in that ghost. So is this a point about we extrapolate, it, we extrapolate too much from the individual experience to think that this is just the way of the world? I think that's a general trend. There's actually another argument that says everybody considers some part of his life a, you know, a possibility for a universal lesson. Mm. And then I say, and, I, and I'm no exception. <laughs> yeah. No, I think we, well, we're pattern finding animals and we want so much to see patterns where sometimes none exist that I think that error is pretty probably pretty uh, common. There is and speaking of ghosts when people have a, a an experience where they talk to God or they or they feel like uh, they they get to know God they almost always stop there but shouldn't logically they say well perhaps there are gods I mean, they always stop at monotheism. They never go on to, well, I'm going to have to explore this a little further to see what other gods are out there. Yeah, faith is a separate category, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Uh, I got a, a couple. Oh, this is uh, this is not ethereal. This is, um, I think, perhaps will be up your alley. 24B. The smallest and shortest pieces of art strive for perfection. The largest and longest strive for greatness. Now, my question to you is, do you think there that this is gendered in a way? Because I have read, and I think it was by uh, Myla Goldberg, who wrote B-Season, she was writing about women poetry and men poetry and how Emily Dickinson, short and perfect, but, you know, Tennyson, long and sprawling. Do you think that there's any truth to that? Oh, no, not at all. Um, I, I mean, I think there's a, a truth to the way that uh, a culture yearns to put women and men into those categories, but I, you could just as easily say, well, there's Basho, who in um, you know the entire Eastern tradition of making small things, that's that's what men do, and and you could say, you know, well, there's Alice Notley or Fanny Howe, Rachel Zucker. I mean, there are tons of female poets who use long, big lines and have a poetics of inclusion rather than exclusion. Sarah, I believe you won that argument. Oh. I got two more. <laughs> 31D. Okay. Interesting people aren't interested in appearing interesting. That's trending towards aphorism. That's something I could hear at a college graduation. So I thought of counterexamples. 
Andy Warhol, Peter Marino, that architect who wears leather, Quentin Crisp, Quentin Tarantino, maybe all the Quentins, Isadora Duncan, Gore Vidal, and William F. Buckley, Lady Gaga. Yeah. Well, I don't know how interesting I find all of those people. <laughs> I mean, there, there, there's, there's a range. <laughs> yeah, if you went to a dinner party and they were all there, maybe, maybe you treat to the, you'd retreat to the cocktail table. I don't know. I don't know. I'd probably call my doctor and have those people dead. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you just take a slice of Lady Gaga's meat outfit. Um, 87C. Instead of pathologizing every human quirk, we should say, by the grace of this behavior, this individual has found it possible to continue. And the thought this inspired in me, and it's a parallel thought, it's not exactly on this topic, but I do find that in an effort to gain acceptance, uh, groups will offer studies that say, you know, oh, it's genetic or statistics that will say it's widespread or details about how, why this thing that was seen as bad is really good, you know? So the arguments come down to not their fault or not that rare or not that bad, but wouldn't it just be easier to like embrace the word acceptance? Sure. I mean, I think, I think all of, all of those things you just said could, um, coexist peaceably. Could, couldn't they? Yeah. I mean, it, it can be genetic and not pathological, or it can be widespread and just behavioral, not genetic, and you know, it could be widespread and pathological and not genetic. I mean, there, there's, there's, yeah, there, there, there are other categories than just it is or isn't my fault. All right, now the last one, Mary. Do we have this? Okay, page fifty-eight. Now, can you read this one to us? Every new routine begins in desperation, and ends in a different desperation. Okay. So I was discussing your book. Uh, We were going through a few of these arguments uh, on the subway in the way to my son's school. And I had him read a couple and we discussed what they meant. Here's his version of that one. Every new route rodent begins with a disappearance and ends in a different disappearance. Do you think that's true that every new rodent begins in a disappearance and ends in a different disappearance? Yes. Cut it from one mouse hole to another mouse hole. Yeah, they disappear. That's awesome. Except if there's cheese. So I wanted to know your thoughts on that. Every new rodent begins in a disappearance and ends in a different disappearance. That is so much better than almost (laughs) all 300. Thank you. Three hundred wonderful. Three hundred rodents. Yeah. yeah, that's 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 lovely. Thank you. He gets how it. old? How old is this young man? He's he's, he's seems eight. Very he's eight. He's a perspicacious young boy. Well, well done, Sarah. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Sarah Manguso is the author of Three Hundred Arguments, of which by now you've heard like fifteen percent. Thank you, Sarah. It's my pleasure. <laughs> You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. And now the spiel. The other day, President Trump, in ruminating on President Jackson, asked a question on everyone's mind. People don't realize, you know, the Civil War um, 
Yeah. You think about it, why? People don't ask that question. But why was there the Civil War? Why could, why could that one not have been worked out? That is a good question. Work it out. Art of the deal. You could like pick a line and say above that line, no slavery. Below the line, slavery. Maybe make the line around, I don't know, Missouri. That could be a compromise. And why wasn't there a compromise, say, in the year 1850? A compromise could have worked back then. Certainly could have worked. Maybe a deal around the states of, I don't know, Kansas and Nebraska. But you've got to act. Why does nobody think of that? Why does nobody talk about that? But really, what Donald Trump wants is not for Andrew Jackson to have averted civil war. No. What he wants is for a different president to have been the man in the hot seat during the war. A president who is a Republican. Does anyone even know that? A president who is strong and bold. And I think you know the president who Trump envisions as being the right leader for that time. On the morning of July 22, 1862, the president called a cabinet meeting. What he said took everyone by surprise. Nobody knew health care could be so complicated. Also, I love my previous life. I had so many things going. This is more work than in my previous life. I thought it would be easier. Also, I know more than the generals, especially this General George McLennan guy. I can't tell you how disgusted I am becoming with these wretched politicians. They're a most despicable set of men. The president is nothing more than a well-meaning baboon. George McClellan. If crazy at George McClellan doesn't attack Richmond, his ratings will totally tank so average in so many ways. Dear Ellen, I went to the White House shortly after the tea where I found the original gorilla, about as intelligent as ever. What a specimen to be at the head of our affairs now. George McClellan. Everybody should boycott the at George McClellan general dumb. Never worth watching. Always a hit on Trump. He is sick and most overrated person in the Peninsula campaign. Dear Mr. President, General McClellan has almost ruined your administration and the country. He is a do-nothing. He is thinking of the presidency in 64. He is placating the rebels. That's what ails him. Depend upon it. Joseph Medill. So true, at Shytrib Medill. Unlike the failing fake media, amazing at Medill and Friends, I am the real general. The president very coolly telegraphed me that he thought I had better break the enemy's lines at once. I was much tempted to reply that he'd better come and do it himself, George McClellan. At Jefferson Davis is an average talent who is out of touch with reality. He is fighting against his own country. Nobody ever talks about that. Like at George McClellan, a total loser. That is it at George McClellan. You're fired. Hashtag save the republic. Hashtag celebrity apprentice. In just seven days, McClellan had been totally outgeneraled. So much winning. Abolitionist Frederick Douglass was incensed. Also alive, also alive. See, turns out to be true. I'm 10 for 10 in these things. Dear Nat, I think well of the president. He has a face like a Hoosier Michelangelo. 
That's good, so right? awful ugly, it becomes beautiful. Ugly. With its strange mouth, huh? its deep cut crisscross lines, and oh. its donut complexion. Well, maybe a marmalade Danish. I do not dwell on the supposed failures of his government. He has shown an almost supernatural tact in keeping the ship afloat at all. I more and more rely upon his idiomatic Western genius. Walt Whitman. Has anyone looked at the really poor numbers of at Brooklyn Eagle? Way down, big trouble, dead. Walt Whitman, no talent, will be out. It was a supreme moment. The home of the fleeing president of the Confederacy, now occupied by the president of the United States. What he said remains fixed in my memory. I wonder if I could get a drink of water. There was no triumph in his gesture or attitude. All he wanted was a rest and a drink of water. And if I could, the most beautiful piece of chocolate cake you have ever seen. So fantastic. I think if I had my choice of all the moments to be present at it in that war period, it would be at Gettysburg. Maybe to have seen him craft those beautiful words, his marvelous healing words. The best words. A local photographer took his time focusing. Presumably, the president could be counted on to go on for a while. But he spoke just 269 words. He started off by reminding his audience that just 87 years had passed since the founding of the nation. And then he went on to embolden the Union cause with some of the most stirring words ever spoken. Look at these hands. Are they small hands? He referred to my hands. If they're small, something else must be small. I guarantee you there's no problem. I guarantee you. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Chris Brube feels mildly bilious over the softwood lumber thing. Just producer Mary Wilson is feeling a slight separation of pus over the White House's looking at ways to change libel laws. Good looking at that. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcast, feels a tad tumid over the Duterte meeting. Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, is feeling well, a woozy over the repeal of Dodd-Frank, but wanting to reinstate Glass-Steagall. The gist, we're downright peaked over the pairing of Asian despots and dessert. G, beautiful cake. Kim Jong-un, smart cookie. Too bad we missed Pol Pot being likened to a candy apple. Or the Burmese junta compared to a pack of gummy bears. Now I too am mildly nauseous. Oom-peru-de-peru-du-peru, and thanks for listening. <laughs>